So this message will be a little bit different message um, than what we've done in this morning. It is a one-off. For the last four weeks, we have been bringing you messages on prayer. And that was purposeful. Um, Back in uh, January 2020, uh, the elders had a retreat at Broken Bow, uh, Arizona, Beaver's Bend. Oklahoma. What did I say? Maybe I should go back to my seat. I hope it's not one of those mornings. Broken, yeah, thank you. Broken Bow, Oklahoma. So during this, we um, had this retreat to kind of re-energize and look at mission and vision for the church. Now, Trinity has a mission and vision, and it was cast years ago, um, but we never really got any momentum to put it in practice. And so this particular message this morning, you can think of it as vision light. Um, But in January of 2020, we had that that retreat uh, that we went up to, um, and I had been to Broken Bow several times. When our kids were young, we used to go up there and go camping all the time. And um, I was very confident that I knew where I was going. Very confident. I have driven that road so many times. I can't tell you the names of the roads, but I know the landmarks and where to turn and everything else. But I had never done the drive at night. And so Gayla and I had left And we were driving and making our way up there. And I would tell you without a doubt that I was going in the right direction. And we made a left-hand turn where I thought we were supposed to make a left-hand turn. And we made a right-hand turn. And all of a sudden, nothing's looking familiar. Nothing at all. And we look at the phone and no cell service. So forget about GPS. We were lost. And so we had to try to figure out how to backtrack. Have you ever had that feeling of being lost? You think you know where you're going, but you're not. That's why we need vision. Later that year in 2020, after COVID had hit and all our vacations plans were thrown out the window, Gail and I got kind of stir crazy and, and we thought, we've got we to go somewhere. We've got to do something. We can't stay here. And in July of that year, we got in in her car and I put my bike on the back and we drove to Boulder, Colorado. And we went to a place that she had had to go on business several times and stayed there. Really, really enjoyed it. And I had my bike and I was able to ride around and and do some different things. Um, And if you've been to Colorado at all, in that Denver area, maybe Boulder, you know that going to the east, it's nothing but flat plains. And to the west, there's these gigantic rocky mountains. And so Gayla had told me, um, yeah, go ahead and and ride, but stay on the flat stuff. Don't go up to the mountains. And so I obeyed for the most part. And so one morning I got up and I I started a ride. And I was riding south. And I went by a park. And at the end of this park, there was an ascent. And it started going up the mountains. And I go... I'm a cyclist. Who goes to Colorado and doesn't ride a mountain? 
And so I started up this mountain. And I, I learned rather quickly that air's a whole lot different when you're a mile high. Um, and there's no mountains in Texas, nothing to train on, nothing to get used to. But I still managed to make my way up the mountain for a few miles. Gala didn't want me to go up because going up's not the problem because you're only going six miles an hour. You know, you can almost walk that fast. Um, going down is another story. That's 40 to 60 miles an hour. So that, that was a reason why I wasn't to go up to the mountains. But I got to this rest stop and I stopped and I decided that I had had enough. Um, but at that rest stop, I went out, there was a vista where, where you could look out and you could see the entire Boulder area. I, I could see the downtown area where we were staying. I could see the University of Colorado over to the right. I could see all the major roads that I had been riding on that week. All of a sudden, I had a direction. I, I had a landscape of where I was going, what I was doing. The church needs to have a vision. It needs to know where it's going. The mission of the church is simple. We read it in the moment of reflection. It's Jesus' command to us in Matthew 28. All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So every church in this world has the same mission. Make disciples. It was a command given to the disciples, but it's given to us because it's till the end of the age. The disciples that became apostles are dead. The work is still to be done. And so the mission is very clear for the church. Make disciples. If you ask any of the elders, they'll take you, tell you that we say it's making disciples that make disciples. And we want to have a clear vision for that. Now, the beauty of Scripture is God gives us everything, as Peter says in his second epistle, for faith and practice, life and godliness. And so when it comes to a vision, the framework is already given for us. And it's contained in this passage in Acts 2, 42 through 47. If you remember the book of Acts when Pastor Jake and I were preaching through that and bringing you the New Testament church, the birth of it, it started with Jesus' ascension. And he, was told, he told the, the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they were in an upper room some 120 people. And what did they do? Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They devoted themselves to prayer. This past summer, the session had gotten together and they talked about, we need a vision. We we need to work on the vision. And asked Jake and I to go back and, and look at some things. And we've been talking about that all throughout the fall, and then coming into the new year, we said, hey, we do need to get on with the vision. But we need to do what the church in Acts did, and we may need to be devoted to prayer. 
That's why we had a series of messages on prayer. We had those messages, but our emphasis on prayer has not ended. It has only begun. In fact, we want people that want to be involved as part of a prayer team. If, if that's something that interests you, would you speak to one of the elders? Would you speak to Pastor Jake or myself? We want to make sure that we're devoted to prayer, that we have a team of people that will look after prayer for us, that will encourage people to come and give their prayer requests, that will help answer those requests, who will work with Pastor Jacob and myself and the elders and the rest of the congregation so that we can have a communication and conduit of prayer for the body. We do nothing as a church unless we saturate it with prayer. So as we go forward, part of the vision is to be a praying people, a praying church. It's one of the pillars that is emphasized in this particular passage. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So when it comes to vision, you have these pillars how do you make disciples? Jesus gave us the what command, go and make disciples. He's answered that question, what are we supposed to do? What is our purpose in this life? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But how do we do that? We love Him by keeping His commandments, by making disciples. That's what we do. The first pushback is, well, I don't know that much. I, I can't make disciples. Well, let me refer you to John chapter 9 in John's gospel. Jesus sees a blind man from birth and he heals him. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are livid that he would do this. And they call the blind man in. And the blind man actually testifies. He bears witness of Jesus Christ. And what he knows is this, I was once blind, but now I see. That was his testimony, and that's enough. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you came to faith through hearing the gospel. You heard it from someone, a teacher, your mother, your father, brother, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a fellow person in the church, you heard it from someone and it was enough for you to come to faith. So you know more than you think you know. You know enough. But the thing about being a disciple is you don't stop. You continue to grow. Gail and I attended a long time ago a mega church that's here in town. And I will leave it unnamed. And in attending that service one morning, the pastor there made this comment. All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. Let me say that again. All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. Now, I had been in the faith for about two years at that point in time. I'd, you've heard my testimony before taking the inductive Bible study, coming to faith through a study in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And as I was beginning to learn more and more through the Word of God, I knew that there was something that wasn't right with that statement. That statement he made, made two classes of Christian. And brothers and sisters, there's one. You either believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him, or you don't. And so I approached him, and I, I said, Hey, um, I heard your message this morning, and you said this. All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. And, and I have a problem with that, because you're making two classes of Christian. And there's not. There's one people of God. Those who have faith and follow Him, or they don't. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll make sure that I, I don't repeat that in the next service. And as I was walking out, I saw some friends that were going to the later service. Megas churches have multiple services. And I said, hey, something came up in the service. I, I want you to listen for this. And I repeated the statement to him. And said, let me know what happens. And sure enough, he said it again. And he believed it. And he continued to preach that message. But that's not the message of Scripture. That's not what it means to be a disciple. And so this church birth that happens in Acts chapter 2, where they had spent time praying together, 120, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Peter raises up amongst them, and he preaches the first sermon. And he preaches about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And it says that 3,000 were added to the church that day. Can you imagine having that problem? <laughs> you're, you're 120 people, and you're in an upper room, and you're praying together. And then one among you stands up and gives a sermon, and the Holy Spirit does all the work. Okay, he, he, the Holy Spirit is using Peter to deliver this message. And he delivers this message and 3,000 are saved. All of a sudden they're going, where are we going to meet? We've, we've outgrown the upper room already. And there is no plan. So they're meeting in the temple, which is the only place that was big enough to house them all. But they did meet in their homes as well. And so it's, what are we going to do? And so Luke captures in this passage the Holy Spirit's vision, Christ's vision for the church, the framework. This is what you're going to do to make disciples. This is the how behind making disciples to keep His command. You're going to devote yourself to these things. You're going to devote yourself first to apostolic teaching. Second, you're going to devote yourself to fellowship. Third, you're going to devote yourself to the breaking of bread. Fourth, you're going to devote yourself to prayer. And then he continues on in that passage and he makes a couple more points. One is you're going to have all things in common together. You're going to do life together. And you're going to evangelize. That's part of making disciples. But this is the framework that you're going to have. This is the framework that every church should have as part of their vision. 
And the vision that the elders had put together, I believe it was, Dan, was that 2011-ish, 2012? 2012. It's still there. We're going to, re- we're going to resurrect this and, and put it forward. This this morning is just kind of vision light that I want to give you. And I want you to take away this one thing if you don't take anything else away this morning. It's the title of this message. We want to create a culture of gospel living. We want to create a culture of gospel living. What that entails is that we will make disciples. That we will have fellowship. That we will worship that we will be a praying people, that we will have all things in common together. We will do life together. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, a small little paperback, and I commend it to you if you have not read his paperback, Life Together. How many have read that book? If you haven't, I got to tell you, that is a, a moving book. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was German, obviously. David, you would recognize Bonhoeffer as a German name. And he lived in Germany, grew up in Germany before World War II. But he lived there, and he was a pastor there during the Second World War. He died in a prison camp. He was hung for his faithfulness. But he wrote this book during that period of time. It is the worst case scenario for the church to try to do life together. There's a war going on. There is the SS, the Nazis, the Gestapo that wanted to stamp out the church. Why? (laughs) Because the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes people's loyalties. They didn't want it to exist. And so life together is, this is how you do things together. It's what this passage is putting before us. We need to do life together. It's part of the process. This last week, with the ice storm, I was able to um, be a little bit more productive than some other weeks, um, being at home. And I read a little book by Mark Dever. Uh, That book was called Discipleship. Mark Dever is pastor of Capitol Hills Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And they've put out a lot of literature under nine marks, um, part of the the collection of churches that they have. Jonathan Lehman, Dave Lehman, used to be our uh, worship arts director here years ago. His son is part of that, that church there. And I was reading this book, and Mark Dever starts out this book on discipleship, and I wanted to share some thoughts that that he had. These are not my own thoughts, but I think we're kind of aligned on this together. Um, He says that he's one that doesn't ask for directions. Kind of like me, going to Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and getting lost. He says, "I, I believe that I'm gifted, like most men, with a natural sense of direction. You know, wives laugh at us for that. He says, however, that means that my confidence often outpaces my knowledge of the right way. My wife says, always confident, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. 
People want to make their own path, he says. And it's true of those who are poets and writers. Robert Frost says this, Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. David, uh, Henry David Thoreau said this, If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it's because he hears a different drummer. William Ernst Henley famously said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Dever goes on to say, it's not just the poets and the writers who love independence. It's all of us. All of us have a sin nature. We want to do what is right in our own eyes. We don't want to listen to others. He said, unfortunately, this hasn't affected just civil and social organizations. It's affected the church. We want to be independent. We want to do our own thing, not life together. We want to go our own way. We want to beat our own drum. People today are more connected to their technology than to their fellow members. How many times do you go to a restaurant and you look around and you'll see a table. They're waiting for their drinks or they're waiting for food. And how often you see all of them on their cell phone. You take, see a four top and all four of them on their phone. They're more connected with that phone and that technology than the people that they actually purposely said that they would go out and share a meal with. We are part of the iPhone, iPad, iTunes generation. You might call us the iLife generation. But what this passage is calling us to, what Christ is calling us to through the Holy Spirit is we life. Creating a culture of gospel living. And why a culture of gospel living? Because it is the church, the plurality of us, as we all reflect Christ Jesus and His image, each one playing its part, each one contributing through the spiritual gifts that just like on Christmas Eve and we all light the candles, we have an individual candle, but then all these candles illuminate at once and it brightens the whole room. We are to be a light to the world, church. And that's us as people of God. And it's when we are a we-life people and we create this culture of gospel living that we will attract people. They'll say, I want that. See how they love one another? But this takes a vision that we need to have. There's been visions throughout history Great visions throughout history. The, the Romans had a vision for a highway system that would link all their territories together. That they thought this, if we can link them all together, we can sustain the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Because what those roads were really meant for is for the traveling of their armies to keep the peace. What they didn't realize is what those roads ended up being used for. 
<laughs> a highway for the gospel to go to the known world. The Wright brothers had a vision at Kitty Hawk. They wanted to fly. Some people would say, if God had intended man to fly, he would have given them, given them wings. But the Wright brothers had a vision for flight. And on that day at Kitty Hawk, they're the first to be airborne. And wonder of wonder, look at the airline industry today. There's not a place on the globe that you can't get close to through air travel and do it within a day. Hence again, missions and missionaries using airline travel, the vision of the Wright brothers to take the gospel to the ends of the globe. Johannes Gutenberg had a vision. Up until the 15th century, everything was handwritten with quill pen dipping the ink. And he thought, we have presses that can drill. Why, why can't we make a press that makes written material, printed material? And so in the mid-15th century, the Gutenberg Press was built. It, it could do 3,600 copies a day. And lo and behold, what was it used for? Bibles. Getting the Word out. Man has visions, but God has a greater vision. Jesus, through His Spirit, gave a vision to the church. Here's how you make disciples, church. You stay devoted to the apostolic teaching. You stay devoted to fellowship. You stay devoted to the breaking of bread, which represents worship, and devoted to prayers. Jesus said, I'll build my church, but I have a means to build it. So catch His vision by the Spirit. Become a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not one already. If you are one, continue on the path. This idea of devotion, the word that's used there in the Greek, is a turning away from one thing and following in another path. As Christians, we're not static. If you're not moving forward towards Jesus Christ, you're moving backwards. You're moving away. We are to be continually putting one foot in front of the other. Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels says this, and I'll use the reference in Mark 8.34. And calling the crowd to Him, His disciples with Him, He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. There is a series of actions that take place there. The condition... If anyone will come after me, that really means to follow in my footsteps. That's exactly what that means. He said, this is what's going to be true of that person that comes to faith in Christ. They're not going to just say, yeah, I believe. And then come and take a seat in an in a auditorium like this and listen to someone speak about Jesus. That's not what discipleship is. This is part and parcel. Worship is a part of discipleship, but it's not the all. You will follow Jesus. And you're going to do so by first denying yourself. That's an imperative. 
In other words, we die to self. The life that we once lived is not what we live anymore. We are Christ's. We are a new creation. We are born again to follow Him. And then we're to take up our cross. That means the obstacles, the things that divert you from following Christ, you need to take those up and follow Him anyway. It's not easy to be a Christian. I know everyone in this room can testify to that in one way or another. You, you find that your time sometimes is evaporated before you. But you know the things that you need to do. I need to call that person. They're in need. They need prayer. I need to encourage this person. I need to have family worship with my kids. These things that we need to do, we feel like our time just gets ripped away from us. But we need to devote ourselves in saying, these are the important things. Sacrifice those things. Don't watch that ball game. Disciple your kids. Do the things you're asked to do. And follow me is also an imperative. It's not a choice. If you believe in Him, you're going to follow Him. I had a seminary professor, uh, Elliot Green. And when I was at Westminster, the Dallas campus, and Elliot Green was teaching that course on New Testament survey. And he's speaking about every book in the New Testament, just a brief survey all the way through it. And he's talking about the synoptic gospels. And he's talking about this text here, what it means to follow Christ. And he had a big whiteboard behind him. And he went up to the whiteboard. And on one side, he put like a peak here. And on the other side, he put a peak here. And then he drew a little line kind of squiggling up and he put the cross. And he said... Following Christ, you might seem to think that it's like climbing mountains. And he had those two peaks there. But there's always a path given in Scripture where you can follow Him. That you'll be given the strength, that you'll be given uh, the means, the endurance, the patience, those things to follow Christ. And he said, my job... Your job as, perfect, uh, as prospective teaching elders, as, as pastors, is not only to follow Christ, but to point people in the direction so that you can say, follow me in following Him. But I'm going to follow Christ. Like Joshua says in the book of Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, Elders, deacons, officers of the church, Pastor Jake and myself, we need to be followers of Jesus Christ. We need to set examples for all of you all. We should be living examples, pictures of what it means to follow Christ. Will we do it perfectly? No. But we need to do that. We need to be following. So our people will follow. You all will follow us following Jesus. You're not following me. You're not following Jake. You're not following elders. We're simply that, that army, onward Christian soldiers, following Jesus, making our way through. It is the heart of Christianity. It is God's desire for His people to display His character, to reflect His image to the lost world. And that's how we do it in following 
Jesus Christ. So these visionary pillars, what does that look like for us moving forward? Where there's a lot of fluidity to it. We'll, we'll be adding more and more as weeks and months come. But we do want to create that culture of gospel living. And we do want to encourage you first and foremost to be a praying people. And then we have a series of sermon series coming up that are very purposeful. We will start next week with 1 Timothy. We'll follow it with 2 Timothy. And then we'll do Titus, the pastoral epistles. And we will teach the content of those epistles to you all. And they're purposeful because it has everything to do with the church and do with discipleship and what that church looks like. First Timothy will talk about how one ought to behave in the household of God. That's all, every one of us. It will talk about men's roles and women's roles in the church and elders' roles and deacon roles, how we take care of widows and orphans, the work of elders and deacons. All those things sets a foundation. Then we'll get into 2 Timothy. It'll be a study of discipleship. Paul was passing the baton on to Timothy, saying this is what you're supposed to do. You're, you're, you're to entrust the word to faithful men. You, you're, you're to preach the word in season and out. You're to make disciples. And then Titus will come back and it'll reinforce all those things that we've taught. So if we're going to enter into what it means to be a disciple if we're going to follow Jesus as disciples, we want you to know what the Word of God expressly says about being a disciple. So that's where we're going. Now, if you have not been following Christ as you should, if you desire to be a biblical disciple, one who follows Jesus, ask ask. That book I read by Mark Dever this week, short little um, the hard copy, or hard, hard cover, 113 pages. I'm not a fast reader, but I read it in a day. He talks about, in that book, what it means to be a disciple. He talks about um, what is discipleship. He talks about objections where we should make disciples? He answers all the questions. But where we make disciples is the church. First and foremost, we do it here. You say, I want to be a disciple. I want to learn. You have opportunities right now. You have in the worship service each and every Sunday. But we have Sunday school for all ages. The adult Sunday school just started a study this morning instrument in the Redeemer's hands. It is a paperback written by Paul Tripp. And I would commend you to that if you, even if you've read that book already. Read it again. Go to the Sunday school class. Learn in community there. Do a little bit of homework beforehand so you can have profitable discussion that you can learn from one another. Learn from Eric Wallace and Scott McNeil who are leading that class, but learn from one another as well. That's an opportunity for discipleship. You want another opportunity? We have inductive Bible study tomorrow night, Monday night. We will meet here at the church. Be myself and, and Gala. There is a Zoom version that Joanne Brown leads. 
that you can join on Monday nights and then Cheryl Kendrick has one on Friday mornings. In that, you can dig into the Word of God. I take the men for a while. Gala takes the women. So does Joanne and so does Cheryl. But we're actually learning how to observe the text, how to interpret the text and then apply it to our lives. You begin to feed yourself. Listen, every one of us came into this world through the birth of our mother. And we had such a dependence upon that mother that that you couldn't wait to be the suckling. And then you grew in nurture. But at some point you learned to walk. At some point you learned to begin to feed yourself. It wasn't the soft foods anymore. You were working your way up to meat what the author of Hebrews talks about. Part of discipleship is maturity. You want to dig into the Word of God. This is an opportunity to do that. But if you don't have an opportunity at that time frame, then I would encourage you to do this. Talk to an elder. Talk to a deacon. Say, I want to be discipled. I need to be discipled. I desire to follow Christ. I'm not sure I know how. Talk to one of us. Talk to Pastor Jake. Talk to myself. We want to make disciples that make disciples. It is in our best interest to disciple you so that you can make disciples. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the gifts that are given to the church. He gives pastors and shepherds, teachers, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. We need you. Christ needs you. It isn't amazing. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet, God makes us part of the process. He has given us the means of the Word of God. He's given us prayer, what's talked about here. Fellowship. Worship. We do those things. And then through our witness to others, He brings them into His kingdom as newborn Christians. That's what we want to do here. We want to create a culture of gospel living. Let me sum things up this way. I talked about being at that mega church. I talked about taking an inductive Bible study. It was like scales falling off my eyes. I had just come to faith. I was a couple years into it, but we needed to go somewhere else. I couldn't stay under teaching that was not correct. And Gail and I found a church, Believer's Chapel. My mentor, Dan Duncan, is still teaching elder there. But when we went there, we got expositional teaching that we weren't hearing before. Book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what Jake and I do here week in and week out. And all of a sudden, we're hearing things we never heard before. The Holy Spirit is revealing and illuminating our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed. And one night, we had two couples over at our house, Gail and I. Matt and his wife, Mark and his wife. Mark had been attending that particular church. He had a Catholic background. And his parents, or her parents, uh, attended that church. And we're having a meal. And Matt 
knows more about the Bible than I think anyone that I've ever met. Never been to seminary. Matt was discipled by a man named Steve. And at that, at that meal that we're sharing, Matt starts talking about Jesus. And he could talk and talk and talk, but it was just, you couldn't get enough. Mark's across the table, and, and Mark's got this look on his face. It's kind of a little bit of deer in the headlights, and it's kind of a little bit of, oh my gosh, what is this? What, what is this word? Mark would tell you years later that was his birthday that night. <laughs> the scales came off. Mark believed and began to follow Christ. He said, I, I want to be discipled. Matt says, I'll disciple you. And I go, can I be discipled? Matt said, sure. Here's what we're going to do. Now, I'm not saying that everyone has to follow this prescribed path. This is my experience, though. It may look different for different people. Richie Goodrich has a list of books that he will go through with people that he's discipling. Depends on where you are, what stage and, and situation of life you're in, and he'll, he'll tailor the gospel to that particular point of contact and then build from there. For me, it was this. I'm going to get you a one-year Bible. You start on the day that it is today. And you start reading that Bible. And then we're going to go through, and this was a Reformed Baptist church, um, the 1689 Confession of Faith, the Doctrines of the Faith. So every Friday morning, we did three things. We talked about what we had read that week in Scripture and shared what we were learning. Second, we talked about the doctrines of the faith, whatever part we were going through. The third thing is, he was a teacher at that church. And he would put his passage up on a whiteboard. And we would talk about that particular passage. And what we were gleaning from it. What we observed from it. What we should, would teach from it. And so I, I did that. Years later, Dan Duncan went through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and he was convicted and he said, you know, I'm going to take some men and I'm going to disciple them. So a couple of times a month on Sunday afternoons, from 3 to 6.30, the evening service was 6.30, he spent time with 14 men. He did that over eight years. So in 10 years I was at that particular church, I was discipled. I learned more in that 10 years than I ever did in seminary by men who vested, invested in me through the Word of God, through the means of grace. That took another step. I met another person there who was passionate about prayer. So Wednesday morning was prayer. Friday mornings was the get-together with Matt. Matt and Mark are now elders at a church in Dallas. Steve Lawson pastors there. They are passionate about making disciples. I want us to be passionate about making disciples. If you haven't been discipled, ask. Please ask. It'll change your life. It's a lot of work. But let me tell you what flowers within you. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Gentleness self-control, and it is evident to all who see you. 
It changes not only your own life, but your family's life and the world around you. Would you begin to follow Christ today if you haven't? And if you have, will you reinvigorate it to become a disciple of Jesus Christ so that we can have a vision together of making this a culture of gospel living? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you how you direct us and give us a vision that we make disciples and how to do it. Father, we pray for our weakness. We pray for our frailty. We, We pray for ourselves that have a lack of interest. Rekindle afresh our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us a desire, a devotion, a passion to follow Him. And let all the fruits of the Spirit be invigorated, be cultivated in our lives, that we would know more of You. I pray for myself, I pray for this people, for a spirit of wisdom and understanding in the revelation and knowledge of You, our great God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.